This Cup of Earl Grey is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for iPhone, iPad, and iPod, Android, Kindle, Windows Phone, plus Mac or PC. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. Plus, if you'd like to support our programming personally, visit trekfm slash donate to get our alien badges and art prints featuring original illustrations by Tobo Ushi. Hey everyone, I'm Rod Roddenberry, and you're listening to Trek FM. T. Earl Grey, hot. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Earl Grey, Trek FM's TNG-centered podcast. I am your host, sitting in the center chair this week, Daniel Prue, and with me, as always, are my two co-hosts. To my left, I have uh, Bridge Station Commander Left, Philip Gilfus. How's it going, uh, Philip? It's going great, Daniel. Man, this, this bridge looks a little different. Did we add some chairs in here? It looks like there's a little more people in here than I'm used to. No, we just we just put some floor lights in so you can tell what's going on if there's an emergency. Okay. Yeah. And to my right, I have Lieutenant Bridge Station Commander Darren Moser. How's it going, Darren? Doing good. Uh, you know, I finally uh, got all those panels on the back of the Enterprise Bridge installed. You know, they're really hard to align, so I just hope no one takes those out because that, that's like a week's worth of of work down the drain. So, but I'm good. I understand. Yeah, that's 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 more than you should have to do if you don't want to do it. So we have a very special episode for you guys this week. Uh, joining us via NexusNet is Captain Harriman's replacement and Tuvok's replacement. We have Mike Schindler and Drew Stewart from Standard Orbit. How are you guys doing today? We're doing well. We're yeah. good. Thanks for having us. Welcome to the 24th century. Ah, it feels very... It's uh, definitely a lot more comfy. Yeah, it's very cushy... <laughs> I could like fall asleep in this chair. And we've dimmed the lights for you too, if that's all or, right. Or, you know, because of the, yeah, I might have something to do with, uh, anyway, go ahead. Is there a reason why I have to stand behind you guys? I'm There's confused. a chair there now. There's a chair there. We're all about ergonomics <laughs> there, here oh, in the 24th oh, century. Is. So okay. standing desks are all the rage. That's true. And we, wanna, we want everybody to be focused on just one singular point at the front of the room. So that's, I guess that's kind of the idea. Cool. That's cool. <clears throat> All right, and okay, so if our listeners haven't picked up on it, we are doing a very special... So this episode is going to drop on Christmas Eve. And, Merry uh, Trexmas. That's right, Merry Trexmas. And since Star Trek doesn't really have very many Christmas references, in fact, just doing a little bit of research before I started this, uh, maybe, maybe three or four, but really the most direct Christmas reference that we get is the Nexus scene in Generations, which... If you have not listened to the Standard Orbit episode that was released yesterday, go listen to that first and then come back and listen to our episode. We are going to be talking about Star Trek Generations, the film, from a TNG perspective with the guys from Standard Orbit. So, guys, let's just let's just hit it off. Um, let's assume that most of our listeners have listened to the, our Standard Orbit. Really, really, Standard Orbit. Really, if you haven't, it's like watching Best of Both Worlds Part 2 oh without seeing Best of Both Worlds Part 1. So, so you're saying this is going to be a massive disappointment? <laughs> oh. I'm not going to say that. I'm not going to say that. 
Yeah, if you, if you, but we don't want our listeners to wait an entire summer before listening to the two episodes, though. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's true. Mm-hmm. It it also makes things a little awkward when we're going to end this episode with the ending music from Best of Both Worlds one, like we do every episode of Earl Grey. So, but that's okay. It's a four parter, right? Aren't we? No, never mind. <laughs> okay, so let's look at this episode. Excuse me, let's look at this movie from a from a completely TNG perspective. Now, that's where I started from, and. You know, going through seven seasons of The Next Generation where we got to learn and grow and, and just experience the crew. But, but you know, obviously Picard was the hero. I, I wanted to talk to the Standard Orbit guys and to the, the Earl Grey guys about what, it, what do you guys think? How do you think Captain Kirk is portrayed versus Picard? Like, Picard gets a bad rap in the movies because he's often portrayed as not TV. No, he's movie Picard. Picard. He's movie Picard, right? And then also, this isn't really TOS Kirk or even TOS movie Kirk. This is he's also a different entity unto himself. How does everybody think that these these characters that we love, we love Captain Kirk, we love Captain Picard, which, whichever side of the debate you fall on, do we think that they're portrayed accurately? I mean, we only really get two big scenes between the two, but are were we happy with their interaction? I've not seen a bunch of Next Generation. Uh, I'm sorry, but I, I've seen the movies. Thanks for coming to Earl Grey today. It's been great having you. I've, I've seen the movies several times. It wasn't until I saw the uh, the Red Letter Media reviews, the the Mr. Plinkett reviews of the the Next Generation movies, that I realized that there was such a vast difference between movie Picard and television Picard. And then watching the, I only have the first two seasons on Blu-ray, but in watching those episodes, you can really see. I like TV Picard. I really do. And I never was impressed with movie Picard. And I, 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 I think that there is a difference. And I think that it is, it's a vast difference. I mean, Daniel, I would say, you know, for me, you look at um, First Contact and where Picard's facing an emotional issue, right? It's the Borg. He's facing, and you may say it's exaggerated, but whatever. He's having to face this whole, how do I feel about the Borg? It's overtaking me. I'm making bad decisions, whatever. But you compare that to Generations where Picard is also having this emotional experience, but it's like such a worse one. I mean, both literally and figuratively in that he's just out the whole movie. I mean, you know, losing these people, losing his his uh, brother and his uh, nephew, he's like literally crying, um, you know, and he's out for this whole movie. Like we don't see TV Picard; he's not at his full status, and he's kind of moping around. Which again, I'm not making light of that experience, but like, if this is supposed to be the first Next Generation movie, we want to see Picard at his most Picardy, but instead he's like the most deflated. And the, you know, versus the first contact, where he, he has that still emotional experience, but it's a little more rewarding experience, at least I think so. And so, I mean, as for how they're portrayed, at least for Picard, I mean, I just really don't like that this is what we get for our first movie of Next Generation, of Picard getting, like, crying, of him getting, like, beat up. Apparently, he can't fight anymore. He lost that ability after seven years, apparently. Um, and it's just not great for Picard in this movie. Yeah, maybe. And maybe that's just a result of the fact that it was made by a bunch of dudes who had been making the show for seven years. You know, the fact that it wasn't a new crew, and by that I mean movie crew, coming in in order to do that. And since they had sort of like been dealing with this episodic uh, show for years, they couldn't quite uh, uh, 
see what the problem with that might be. Was it a problem? I don't know. I didn't have a problem with it. But then again, you know, I, I had been watching the show, you know, for religiously for a couple of years at that point. So I, I didn't really uh, think of, of it in, in those terms. Um, but perhaps the uh, dramatic shift in the other direction for First Contact was a response to um, what generations ended up being. Well, that's a good point, Mike, I, I, how the original series movies had that space between the end of the series and, and, and the movies, and it was almost like there was time to reflect on, okay, what should this be about? How should we present these characters? Time has passed instead of this should be the biggest episode ever. And it and it wasn't it the the script wasn't there to back it up in generations. I mean, there was many more other two parters that I would have loved to see in the big screen over the overall script that they that they gave us. And 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 again, not to to go outside the scope of your your prompt there, Daniel, but like compare it to okay, you have a you have a crying Picard, you have a groveling Data. You know, I know we could go into data for the whole thing, but you have him sort of taken out of the movie too. He could have and taken Soren apart. Yeah, and again, I don't, I don't mean that there's not a potential reward at the end of the movie. There's, there's not a potential message for all this because you know there is an arc for data, there is an arc for Picard. You know, time and, and experience and loss and 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 again, I I, I, I talked a little bit about standard orbit, but like I try to push to find meaning in generations. You know, what did the Nexus represent? What's loss? What's time? What's all this you know emotional stuff? But like I said, that the characters are just not at their best, um, at least from the next generation perspective. And again, I don't know if if, if they if the if uh, uh, Mike and Drew would say that Kirk is at his best or not. No, he's not. <laughs> All right, Chekhov. Chekhov is on point. <laughs> <laughs> he's out, yet, yet he's still a commander. What happened? Come on, can't even get a promotion after that time. Jeez. <laughs> All right, I I do okay. Then I want to drill down here because, um, you know I, I I'm not I love TOS as much as I love most Star Trek, and and it's it's not obviously not my favorite series, but I do like the I love the characters, and I. What I mean to say is that, a, a meeting between two iconic characters, you know, ratings or not, syndication or not, Kirk and Picard. You're you're not going to find two bigger characters in the Star Trek universe. I mean, I guess arguably maybe Spock you could throw in there, but 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 in, in any case, you know, you know it's Kirk and Picard, and that's kind of become the thing post TNG. And so a, a meeting between these two titans should be amazing. It really should be incredible. It should it should write itself. We would all think, right? And we're not professional professional writers. So where do you think that the writing falls flat? Do you think that the scenes that Picard and Kirk have are, I guess, interesting? And that there are a few gems in there, I personally believe. But but overall, I think they could have done much better. Why is that? What, is it because Kirk isn't Kirk? Is it because Picard isn't Picard? Is it maybe they just don't mesh very well together? I mean, do you guys... Would you have wanted more? The problem with it, the reason why it's it's not a scene which can write itself. And the reason why it, it does fall flat is because it is all based on a really big conceit. You know, you have to figure out a way to get these two iconic characters together in the first place. And it's not easy to do because one of them is, you know, 80 years older than the other one. And that doesn't make any sense. 
you know, so you've got to come up with something which is, you know, contrived. And uh, that's what they did. It's, it's not an issue for Star Trek to travel back and forth between time. Um, no, I don't think it, it, it's a big issue for, for Kirk, who is, right? Like, what, what the one up, the, the Deep Space Nine episode where they talk about how Kirk was like the biggest. Uh, Trials and tribulations. Investigations yeah, time, yeah, yeah, yeah. Those, those guys, they were great. They were funny. But, uh, you know, he was like the worst time traveling guy of all time. Like he was 27 just, incidents. <laughs> yeah. The man exactly. was a menace. So, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, um, so I don't have a problem conceiving of, uh, or at least giving them that situation saying, okay, Kirk could have some, at some point met Picard. So that doesn't bother me. Um, but I, so the, the whole, the original point was that you have to give that them that conceit. And maybe to me, I'm, I'm, I'm more willing to grant them that conceit is, does everyone else feel that way? Or are you okay with a, a situation where that might happen? I mean, I think the challenge for, for generations was that, um, and again, I mean, not to beat up. Look, I, I watch generations and I, I will rewatch it again, you know, well, uh, but I think the, the challenge for generations was that they were both like, it, there really wasn't enough time. You know, the movie like ends three fourths of the way through when the saucer, you know, saucer hits the planet. And then we have this Kirk Picard mini episode, you know, during intermission. And then they literally re, re, they literally recap the movie after that, you know, previously on Star Trek Generations. And then it's like, oh, we're going to crash. Oh, we crash. You know, <laughs> um, and so you have this sort of mini episode. But like, they don't really like mesh because they're both coming in different places because you have picard intent like oh i need to solve this viridian three problem soar and all this and you have kirk kind of like oh i'm in the nexus and what's going on here and they don't really intersect you know except for like kirk like oh well i can you know can't say no to the captain of the enterprise but it's almost i won't say devalued but it's complicated because we just saw that in the beginning of the movie with the enterprise b captain you know, it's almost like it's like some bizarre Doctor Who thing where he's like dealing with three doctors, but deals with them like at different points. Like, and so um, it, it, it loses its value a little bit. But again, again, Kirk, big character, Picard, big character. But well, I agree, Daniel, on um, that they didn't have what everyone thought would be the cool, you know, part together. Because even at the end of the movie, when they're kind of fighting Soren, you know, they. I don't know, play wrestle for a couple minutes and Picard gets slapped around and Kirk punches him. And that's about it. And, you know, there's a whole like, oh, well, I want to work together. We are working together. But like, yeah, for like 30 seconds and then you die, Kirk. So. Yeah, I, I agree as well. I think the biggest, the biggest problem for me is that if you want to see Kirk and Picard interacting together in their element, put them in their element, put them on a starship. Put them on the bridge of whatever ship. Give them a third ship so they don't, each of them don't have like, you know, can pull rank, you know. And, you know, they're down here on, you know, the backstage planet. And it's just, when I think of Picard in, in the best moments is he's working as a diplomat against, you know, a, a superior force. And when I think of Kirk in his best moments, I think of him outwitting using his tactics and his conniving, you know, or, or just his gut and his crew around him. And I think you could have written a great scene of those two working together, combining their different, cause they totally approach situations in different ways, but you could combine those in, in a, on a bridge somewhere. Just, just put them on a bridge. It would be great to, to have them have the argument that you want to hear them have. Like, you know, Kirk's like, 
when when their backs turn, we should... <laughs> <laughs> and, and Picard be like, "No, we should probably just talk to them." You know, was that was that your Picard? Ex- ex- yeah, yeah. That was good. and, and, and was. Darren. Technically, they were both on a bridge. They were both oh, on a bridge. Yeah, I was man. thinking of the same thing actually. Oh, and, no. but Jeez. but it was a but it was a bridge too far. Thanks for having. <laughs> me. Oh. But but I mean. I mean, we're, we all agree with you. I think not just the five of us, but I think all Star Trek all fans human beings agree with you. on this fair ha- planet. Hashtag I agree. Just tweet it. <laughs> yeah, but why? But but if it's so easy for the five of us to come up with this, like we've, we've don't been ask questions you don't for, want answers to, Daniel. <laughs> if we've been brainstorming this for one minute, why is it that they couldn't do it in in months that they've had to prepare for this? To be fair, we've been yeah. brainstorming it for twenty years. But but it, it, I think that the, the issue there is that it was not an organic process. You know, I mean, it's it's very clear that you know they they did a a, a face off between two scripts. Both of them had Kirk. The whole thing was how do you bring Kirk into this? And it wasn't like they were like, we want to tell this story. What's the best way to tell the story by bringing Kirk into it? It was like you need to bring Kirk into it now. Make a story out of that, and it's like that's the wrong way to go about doing things, if you ask me. And uh, you know, they're very open about the fact that they dropped the ball and. But I don't think it's their fault, you know? And, hey, I also don't think that it's badly written. I think that it is a, a very well-written movie. I just – I see that it has problems, just like everyone else, sure. But, uh, but yeah, they were put in, an, in a very difficult position. Can you say that you're satisfied with the way it turned – or, like, with the, with the interaction between Kirk and Picard, can you say you're satisfied with that? Or can you yourself imagine right now – and, of course, we have hindsight – but can you yourself imagine – a better scenario or at least you know two minutes of dialogue between the two that would have been more satisfying i think the horses talked more than the <laughs> no i mean i think that you know what you were saying or someone was saying putting the, them on a bridge you know that makes total sense I, I mean i'm not saying that what they did was uh the best thing they could do and i'm not necessarily saying that i really like the interaction between kirk and picard i mean uh, yesterday on Standard Orbit, we we talked about how you know I think everyone was in agreement that it should have just been a TNG only movie, and uh, yeah, I mean that 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 goes you know that goes into it too. So, so yeah, I mean I don't I don't disagree with you that it wasn't satisfying. I, I guess I I like the movie for other reasons, but um, but yeah, and I'm not trying to defend them completely you know they 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 definitely did make mistakes and that was one of them you know the interaction between kirk and picard but it was a problem where you know yeah i mean like kirk didn't really have i mean it's i don't know i don't know well i mean i think one of the the challenges for the either the writers or the producers or whoever it seems to me and i might be wrong that there was a definite checklist with this movie all right, you got to destroy the D because we want a new ship next time. You got to kill mm-hmm. Kirk. You got to do that. We want Data to get his emotion chip, so make that happen. However, you want to do that. Um, we want to see some new set. So give us a new set. So stellar cartography. Um, you know, the Picard. I don't know. To be in it. Yeah, uh, and Nurse Ogawa, right? Because you know, right? um, Livingston has to know anyway. But anyway, but like it seems to me like there's all these checklists, and so you know, it's one of those. It's like a writer's challenge. Okay, I got to do all these things. Let me write a story that makes that all you know make sense. And so, 
for the things that like oh frustrate me when I'm watching. Like I don't think the fight scenes should be that stupid. Uh, I'm talking about the Enterprise D with the Klingon bird of prey, um, or you know like I can't believe you know anyway. So I think that's a challenge for me because it seemed like they definitely had goals and they had to connect those dots somehow. And those dots may yeah. or may not have been connected well. By the way, I'm sorry, just to interject for a second here, you brought up Livingston, and that was something which always bothered me when I when I saw it, is how, you know, they make a big deal out of finding Spot and how Spot was amazing. And, I mean, I do have some Spot love. If you look at my cat, which is sitting right here, he looks just like Spot and everything like that. Um, but I always thought it was wrong how, you know, they made such a big deal out of that, and then they walk by... Uh, you know, at the last scene in the movie or whatever, they're walking through his uh, his ready room, and there's the blown out fish tank. Spot's been there, or you know, Livingston's been there since the beginning. So when I was, um, can, I, I have to. I'm sorry, Daniel Mike. Knows I just exactly have to interrupt what you. Happened to Livingston. <laughs> um, oh, I do too, because I made reason, a movie about it. Oh, did you? Yeah. Okay, I'm sorry. Then go ahead. I don't mean. I don't mean to interrupt you. Go ahead. No, I did, I made it when I was 17 years old. I made. Um, uh, Star Trek Generations as told from Living, Livingston's perspective. I shot it through a fisheye lens. It, it was like all the best in the ready room. The world. It, it was really amazing, actually. We did it with the action figures, you know? And, uh, and, um, Basically, you know, lots of boring stuff happens. At one point, uh, Crusher comes in, and her and Picard get it on, and then, um, and then, and then more, you know, just kind of like sitting. And then the the ship crashes, and you hear lots of shaking and everything like that. And then, you know, he crashes, and he ends up on the ground looking up at the sky. And then we cut to the last scene where they're talking, blah 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 blah. They say that time is the fire in which we burn, blah blah blah. And then. Uh, uh, Riker says, speak for yourself, sir. I plan to live forever. And at that moment, he goes squash and squishes Livingston, who is on the ground as he takes a step, killing him. The end. Credits. Does, uh, does Livingston go, oh, my. <laughs> oh, man. Um, you know, see, I should have had you uh, there in the comic book store that yeah. for that hour that we were making that. <laughs> Oh. That that is wonderful fanfic, but I I just have to let you know that the actual the the canon okay. of what happened there, right. the reason the the reason that the glass is blown out uh-huh. is because <laughs> Livingston has explosives that he can use at any point <laughs> when he needs to exit the tank. Okay. So he's I mean he saw this coming. A no, mile actually, away. actually, key- both of y'all are right because what uh what what uh Mike is describing is the Enterprise these are the voyages death of Livingston of what we saw on screen <laughs> and what Daniel is describing is the novelization of Section 31 which we now know Livingston much like Trip was a Section 31 agent and so yep. you you both are right Interesting cool Yeah as soon as he saw Troy take the helm he went down his emergency escape chute <laughs> to his escape pod that's right. There was t- okay. by the way. By the way, there was time to get a replacement con officer. I was watching it this time, you know, because like, okay, the, 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 it blew up. She had to take the helm, which is fine, an emergency. But there was like a good forty minutes there when they could have gotten like, you know, emergency con officer to report to the bridge. I don't know. There and there is a moment that they like, which is very rare in Star Trek for them to do, but they like zoom in on the panel, like like right when she presses the button to try to escape, and it's like. Are you trying to show us that she's pressing the wrong button? Like, <laughs> like why? Like, button. why else would you show this to us? Because this is not something you normally do. Because when people are trying to pretend to press buttons, they look like idiots. But why? I mean, like, I think that's what you're trying to tell us to do. But yeah, whatever. That, that is an interesting thing. I mean, just kind of branching off from that, if you don't mind me 
you know, sort of oh, going. It's what, it's what we do. Another observation. Okay, uh, about this movie, and I'm taking this like kind of semi seriously now. Is this movie looks and feels substantially different than the show does? And that was actually something which was really jarring to me as a kid. You know, now today, you know, it's like, okay, yeah, that's because it's a movie, you know, and, and you're you're shooting it in a widescreen ratio, 2.39 to 1. Commentary track starts at 1, high five. And, um, <laughs> and uh, you know, you, you, uh, you, you're doing it on a, a, a big screen. You have a big budget. You can light it, you know, all cool and stuff like that. And since you don't have act breaks and stuff like that, you can cut it in a certain way that, you know, is, is much more... Uh, um, uh, e- easily flowing and, and stuff like that. But as a kid, I was really, I did not like it. I was like, why is the Enterprise so dark? You know, what happened to the lights? Um, I mean, yeah. to be fair, there were four lights in this movie. <laughs> <clears throat> no, but no, I mean, he, Mike perfectly, dem- this is the next point I was going to talk to you about is the transition from TNG to the movies. Because like we've mentioned before, TOS has a what a fifteen year twenty year I don't remember what a, a lot's a big sixty nine to seventy nine between right? so t- yeah okay yeah. so ten year has a ten year gap or seven between the movies we have like what like a summer isn't that what it was <laughs> uh, yes yeah, like, I think they like, they probably remember I mean I think there's literally like two to three weeks between all good things ending and generation starting at least for the actors. Right, for production, oh, yeah, but I'm saying, like, yeah. we we saw All Good Things, what, in May or June? May, All Good uh, Things was May, and then Generations was November. Yeah, so we're talking less than six months. And so we're, we, we are, I mean, and you just demonstrated it, you know, perfectly, because I feel the same exact way. It's like, fine, if you want to put new bridge stations there, I actually think that's great. I think that works really well. And if you want to show 10 forward when you're in front of a star as being diff- like lit differently, because clearly, as we've talked about in Earl Grey, this movie likes to remind you that we're very close <laughs> to a star. Every possible <laughs> sequence that we could see light coming in from a window, like there's no polarizing the view screen in this movie. That's for sure. Can I just briefly say that I did not notice that that's what they were trying to do until like a year ago. <laughs> I just thought it was really, really poor stylized. lighting techniques. Yeah, I was just like, "What's going on?" I know this guy. This thing was shot by John Alonzo. Didn't he win an Oscar? I don't understand what he's doing here. But and then it was like a, a bulb went off, and I'm like, "Oh." And a nerd point here, okay? It's even dark before they get there because when the holodeck doors open, yes. the quarters are already dark. Yeah, they're, they're lit a lot. It doesn't have that that flat. I mean, that was the, that's the thing about Next Gen in particular is it had a very, very, very flat lighting scheme. It, it actually is kind of – I'm not going to say that. But anyway, you know, so, so they brought in a new cinematographer who had – yeah, I think he won an Oscar for Chinatown if I'm not mistaken. And it's like, yeah, he's going to light it like a movie. And that's kind of how it probably should have looked from the beginning. They just didn't do that. And – but – since this thing has already been established, especially as a kid who, you know, doesn't know how movies work, it was really jarring and I hated it. I really hated the way it looked. And I think, you know, we've talked about lighting now for a little bit, but I think in an, uh, the other side of the coin here now is costuming, right? Like, I mean, we mm-hmm. see... Which one? We, <laughs> that's the point. Like, in the, does it, I mean, I'm, I think it bothers everybody. Oh, it bothers like, me so much. what the heck were you doing? Like, why... 
pick one. I don't care which one it is. Like if they, if you, I'm. Go ahead. I'm fine with them having more than one outfit. My problem is that it's they're obviously not tailored to oh, them. Jordy <laughs> barely fits in his uniform. Jordy's wearing O'Brien's uniform, <laughs> and it doesn't fit. And uh, Rik- Riker's wearing it, like, uh, Avery Brooks's, which is why his sleeves don't go down all the way. And Picard yeah, looks like he's wearing a belt the whole time. He has the tightest waist cinch well, strap. He, he is, yeah, he is wearing. It. <laughs> but I mean, you guys know the story behind that, right? How they had designed uh-uh. the costume. Yeah, well, I mean, you guys have seen the action figures, right? Yes, yeah. And those mm-hmm. were the costumes that they had designed. Oh, yeah, yeah. And basically, the crew or the 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 actors were like, "We cannot wear these. This is not happening." You know, so they had to scramble, which is why they had that sort of you know half-assed. You know, we're doing these, and the only two actors who actually got tailored costumes were. You know, uh, um, Patrick and Picard, Stewart. right? Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. So the two main characters, it was, it's a mess, but I mean, you know, like, you know, I've talked to military people and they're like, yeah, you know, when you get new uniforms, people still wear the old uniforms, you know, we're cheap. But that's they the also goes. didn't have replicators where you could take the uniform, yeah, put it in, and it comes yeah. out, and it's... It's like, we have a wear-through date for another six months, so as long as you use the old one until and, then. And, okay, but, and, let's be fair, like, even in the military, and I'm assuming, and I could be way wrong, because I don't know anything about the military, maybe Philip could tell they us. They have guns. But at the... at the We yeah, call them rifles. <laughs> <laughs> it's called a weapon. But at the highest, at the highest levels, like, at the... In the command center, in the bridge, I'm sure everybody wears this. Either they're all wearing right. the old ones, or they, they get them the first. Like, <laughs> yeah, so that doesn't make any sense. Like, because we have Picard and Kirk. Well, like, like they uh, do they swap? And they've they've had Deep Space Nine had that uniform since the beginning. So two going years, they gave, four they gave years, them to the two years. stations okay. first, and then they were going to give them to the ships. I mean, that I always thought that was the intent. You know, in yeah, the, that's in what universe. I, I always thought that it was like the non-important people get the, you know, like Voyager and all them. They've got not that Voyager isn't important. <laughs> to the journey, the crew. <laughs> to the journey, <laughs> the crew isn't the flagship. They've got they've got a, you know, they've got a a, a different uniform. Like but Cisco changed back when he went to Earth during jumps. the martial law episode. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. Mm-hmm. Which oh, totally geez. just destroys all See, like I don't like it because I love that aspect of emissary, the pilot of DS Nine, where you the, have uh, he he comes over with the you know the red chest. Like I, I always saw it as these are the uniforms that starships wear, and these are the uniforms that like station and other personnel wear. And it, and it may and then when he changed his uniform by the end of the episode, it was that transition to okay, this is my paradigm now, this is my world, and then all of a sudden they were creeping onto the starships. And I was like, and not like I I could have taken it if the entire, uh, like it was supposed to be the entire crew was dressed in the new uniforms. I'm like, okay, you know, they just, they updated, but the whole back and forth and was it this scene or this scene? And it just, it, they botched it. One thing again, I'm, I'm trying to force analogies here and, and metaphors and meaning. Um, like I thought like maybe it's a, again, I keep saying Star Trek's all about there's a, yeah, well, I thought there was there was like a, a symbolism of transition that we're going that okay, we want to show you these people that you've loved for seven years. We're going to show them on screen in the regular uniform, but then we're going to transition to the new uniform. And I thought like, okay, you know what? When I've watched this like the millionth time today, I'm like, okay, what I'm going to see is they're going to be in that regular uniform, and then once they change to the new one, they're going to be in that 
throughout the whole rest of the movie. But that, that didn't happen. You actually see them go from the regular uniform <laughs> to the different uniform back to the regular uniform. I'm like, but uh, there goes my symbolism. Yeah, I'm sure. And then they replaced the uniform completely in the next movie. <laughs> yes. so Which was a really good call because uh, <laughs> those uniforms are awesome. And the DS9 actors are like, I like the old ones. <laughs> I was going to say, I'm sure it was symbolism and not the fact that they didn't have the other ones ready in time for the scenes that they were shooting on that day. Yeah. No, no, it couldn't be that. <laughs> and, and it was, and again, because my memory gets fused with this miniseries here in 2013. Was, was Generations the first time with the new com badge? Yep. Mm-hmm. Hey. Yeah. Yep. Which you could buy why. off of that mail order ad during that marathon. Anyone remember that? Yep. Anyone buy yep. it and wear it to school and get made fun of? <laughs> I'm just asking. <laughs> I mean, I'm not saying that's Anybody? what I did. I'm just saying. I'm just asking. No? I mean, okay. the oh, badge was all that, right. That I just fun. didn't like that logo. That whole, like, let's take an oval and put Whoa. a Star Trek symbol inside of it. It just didn't work it, for me. It's cl- Okay. Well, let me, let, let's ask everybody. Like, do you guys prefer the... We'll call it the Deep Space Nine, even though it's not. We'll call it the Deep Space Nine. I call it the Voyager one. Oh, we'll call yeah. it Voyager. That makes more sense. Let's call it. The, do we prefer the TNG Com Badge or the the Voyager Com Badge? I like the Voyager Com Badge myself. I think it's cleaner. I really do. Yeah, I mean, I I do. But I, I do have the I do have the official badge. I I think nostalgic wise, I like the TNG, but the Voyager one does look a little cleaner. I actually, and not to get way, this is way off track, but I kind of prefer like the, like the TOS or, or like, like I like just the Delta shield. I think that's, that works. I think that's clean. And I think that's, we don't need a background. So hopefully you get stationed on the Enterprise. (laughs) Yeah. No, or in the My my favorite, my favorite is just the, the circle around the, the regular Delta shield. The TNG. From like motion picture. Oh, oh, I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah. That's not, no, the best one is the one from the uh, Nick Meyer era, you know? No. Yeah. Which we saw at the beginning of Generations. I used to like the bar. It's it's too big, I think. It's just too, it's too much. Well, I thought it was interesting in the Nexus when you see that Kirk has taken off his over, what do you call it, over jacket? And it has the the, the bar on there, but he has a bar underneath on his vest. I'm like, that's going to be uncomfortable Mm. wearing the overcoat over the bar on the vest. I mean, that's going to. People do that. Like, like if you, if you, if you need a name tag or whatever, you wear the name tag and then you wear the name tag on your sport coat so that whether you have one or not, I mean, that is a thing that people do. Sure, sure. I'm okay with it. Well, let's also be, let's, let's, let's also let's also keep in mind that it is the Nexus, so he could do whatever he wants. So he probably That's took true. off the thing, and then is like, well, of course I've still got this thing on because why wouldn't I, right? We've talked about Kirk and Picard. We've talked about the transition. Let's talk now about the B plot. And since this is we're doing this on Earl Grey, this is a TNG B plot. We're going to talk about data. So not the I think the Enterprise B. Yeah. Yeah. No. <laughs> it doesn't. It's terrible. It doesn't deserve a plot of its own. So we're not gonna, we will probably bring it up later. But let's talk about uh, data because this is a huge like. And I mean, you're not going to meet a bigger data fan than I am. But I think that if we sacrificed some of this data time to get some more Kirk time or some more Picard time, I mean, if we're going to do this crossover, I would have been okay with that. For seven years, we've been teased about Data getting emotions, and it happens in this movie. And what happens? He becomes the most obnoxious character, one of the most obnoxious characters in Star Trek history. Why? 
Well, I mean, like, to me, it, it looks like wish fulfillment throughout the entire TNG movie franchise. In other words, okay, man, what does Data want? He wants emotions. What does Geordi want? He wants sight. Like, we just have this wish fulfillment throughout all the... Like, we're going to... Everything we always wanted, everyone gets. And I'm like, should we always get what we... I mean, isn't that the challenge? Except we don't... It, it's like that episode where Riker gets all the Q powers, except that we don't get to see grown-up Will Wheaton. In <laughs> <laughs> Nemesis, he kind of looks the same. So, yeah. No, he does not look. The, whoa, Philip! You need to go back and look at who they. Oh, oh I'm sorry, I blinked. That's why I missed him. <laughs> <laughs> the guy that whoever they hired for future Will Wheaton was like a big, I know, burly, muscly dude, and then, that was weird. <laughs> but anyways, go ahead. The the only wish that didn't get fulfilled is Worf doesn't get you know women fawning all over him or whatever Riker gave him. He just gets you know uh, Klingon pimples. We don't even get the uh, or he, my my biggest complaint about Nemesis is that we don't get the oh sorry about the dead wife comment to Worf. That's all I was waiting for you know Worf, in Nemesis. Worf gets crapped on so much in the movies. I don't even get me started on how the movies ruin Worf. Okay. He gets promoted in generations, right? Huh? Huh? Yeah, whatever. Who cares about that? Let's talk and about a chair. How he and a and chair. He becomes an awesome character in Deep Space Nine, and he goes off, and he and he, he, and then he becomes every few a, an ambassador. He goes off and becomes a patsy. And then he comes back because of what? Because why? Yeah, they <sighs> shoehorn him back into his next gen role. I mean, look at the way that they brought him in in First Contact. That was badass no that was i mean that was like one of those where you stand up and you're like you go wharf i don't know where cisco is right now that's kind of <laughs> weird but whatever you go wharf you know and <laughs> it, you know insurrection it was whatever they they didn't acknowledge it so okay fine whatever but nemesis was just unforgivable, unforgivable. oh yeah no everyone everyone agrees nemesis is no, unforgivable no, I, yes period oh hey and and i i like nemesis by the way but not that he could have still been an ambassador and done the whole thing there you go. He could have been an ambassador there for the wedding. The awkward thing is that Worf did not invite anyone to his wedding, and we remember that. By the That's way, what made we remember so that. Upset. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I never. I think you guys were talking about that a few weeks ago. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. I, we brought. We did bring it up. I, I had never thought of that, but when you said it, I'm like, oh yeah. Worf's kind of a jerk. Oh, it's infuriating. Me? Yeah, <laughs> it's infuriating that message communicated, Lieutenant system. Commander. Message communicated. <laughs> Let's push back towards. Data because why does the data thing fail? They take it too far. They 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 just it's like they just said, okay, Brent, be crazy, and they didn't write anything. Mm-hmm. And and it's really weird. You can do that with John Delancey, but not with Data. <laughs> right. I was I was putting away the Blu-ray uh, tonight, and I looked at the back of the box, and each box on these Blu-ray sets have a quote from the movie, and the quote for this movie was. Uh, that the clown can stay, but the Ferengi in the gorilla suit has to go. Oh, my gosh. That's the quote. And so I was like, that's embarrassing. So I looked at all the others. They're all terrible. (laughs) But I just, I thought it was interesting that that's the quote, not time is the fire in which we burn or, you know, any of the actual arc phrases from, but the... That stupid joke. Should have, should have been oh my. Which I'm disappointed is not, not in actually in the episode. Well, that's man. the thing that I love about that. You know, yeah, I mean, I that's like too, the yeah. expanded universe, whatever. But I mean, I guess I'm in the minority here. But I, I like Data's um, arc in in this movie. I, I think it's cool. I think that again, you know, the, the fact that they sort of threw that out the window, definitely by Nemesis is. Um, 
really weird and that's uh, that's another thing but um but yeah no no i like it and i really responded to it and and the humor i mean that's i mean maybe that's part of the thing that we were talking about yesterday with uh me being 14 years old and not you know familiar with movies or whatever or like watching movies with people but like the jokes killed in the theater and i know we were all a bunch of nerds and everything but they killed the life forms thing i love that you know all that stuff and maybe Mr. Tricorder is Mr. Cool. Tricorder is awesome. I love all that stuff. And I, I remember But the rest I know of like my, my my older, you know, uh TOS loving fan friend TOS loving friend who, you know, watched the movie uh at the same time, you know, when when I was a kid, he was like this data stuff is annoying, it's terrible, you know, it's it's really 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 bad. But I I didn't see that at all and I I still love it to this day and I, I, I do like his arc you know i mean when he finds spot i mean that's that's you know that's really nice and i i, I cry with him too especially now since i've got a cat here who looks just like spot you know what's your cat's name it's spot too name is r <laughs> well as a comparison well since we have the tos let me compare this for for what my reaction is okay so and again I, we dale and i i certainly agree that these are not the same character but let me give you this analogy Okay, Data going crazy in Generations versus Spock in Star Trek IV. Which one is clearly better? <laughs> I, I would argue Spock out of his element, you know, or, or in Star Trek IV is better th than what we see Data in Generations. And again, I'm not saying they're the same character, but but characters kind of going crazy. Spock going crazy in Star Trek I mean, relative term, you know what I mean. More relative, exactly. Spock being, you know, kind of goofy is you know like a smirk while data being kind of goofy is like i guess you could say i have a magnetic <laughs> personality <laughs> right but but it's only that way because they wrote it that way i mean d d technically spock should be more akin or, or more likely to go emotionally crazy and be obnoxious than data is technically speaking if we're talking like from a character standpoint if if something was to go haywire with spock it would make way more sense for Spock to be all of a sudden, I'm way too human and I like trip on banana peels or I don't know, like some obnoxious something like that than it would for Data, who is a... Who hey, is hanging a, upside a down machine. from a tree. Yeah, like it just... <laughs> I mean, y y we think that way because that's how it came out because Star Trek Four deals with Spock better than Generations deals with Data. I think we can all agree, I think. Because I mean, I'll, the, I'll, I agree the, that there was resolution at the end of Generations. I mean, I agree with you um, uh, uh, there, Mike. That I mean, at the end there was you know, Data has this control, but then he has Spot. And, so I mean, it wasn't like well, we're going to throw it out there on the wall and nothing happens. But it just was annoying. <laughs> I mean, that's also uh, the, the other thing about that, which is I think really important, is that what's this character about? You know, I mean, for years and years and years, seven years to be exact, he's <laughs> wanted to be human. And here it is. He's he's doing it. And here's here's his chance. I mean, that I think that is something that you bring out in the movie. You know, that that is something that you pull out of your out of your bag and 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 uh, and and use you, you save it until then. And that's unlike the Kirk thing, which is completely irrelevant, like saying like this in this movie, Data is going to have emotions. That's, I think, perfectly reasonable and uh, um, the right thing to do. You know, well, look at all the ways that we take data in the show, like 
all of our favorite moments. Imagine if you took those moments and put them in generations, but now he has emotion. Like imagine data in a command scenario, but with emotion. Like I think that would have been a very impactful scene. That's what first contact should have had. But I also have to say, and I understand that that there is a, a a degree of difference between the character's position at these two points. But uh, and I know maybe that uh, that you don't care for this, Mike. But but all all good things data is the is the movie data that I wanted to see. I didn't want to see data who wasn't strong enough to protect his best friend. That's that's he's not a hero to me. He's he's. He, I want to see a, d- a developed and a deep data who who has yeah, gray maybe hair. He's dealing with these new, ex- yeah, maybe he's dealing with these new experiences, but he's still a hero to me, and he still represents good things to me. He, he's a coward in this movie, and 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 I understand that's a new thing for him, but do it like all good things. Don't do it like generations. Come on. I feel that. The whole reason that, that Data gets emotions in this movie is for the conversation and stellar cartography, which is, I think, the moral of the story. Uh, I, don't know, I don't know if everybody agrees with me, but that, that conversation where Picard is discussing his emotions while teaching Data about his, like, you know, you have to learn to deal with your emotions. I know you don't want your emotions, but that's something you're going to have to live with. Until the next movie, when you can turn, <laughs> will. data. Sometimes I envy you because even because they give him they give him these emotions for that reason, and then for the rest of the the rest of the movies, they're just like he has emotions when he wants them. He doesn't even bring it with him in insurrection. Yeah. Like it's like oh, the big deal is we give him these emotions. Well, then they just take him away, so it's pointless. Well, it is. There is a point, and that's the point is him not wanting to deal with his emotions because they were getting in the way of his job, which is what Picard was dealing with at the same time. Can I just say that, you know, going back to something that, 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 uh, Daniel said earlier, um, yeah, I don't want you to think that I don't like all good things just because I like <laughs> generations more. I mean, all good things is like masterclass filmmaking right there or masterclass television. I'm just saying I, I like generations better. And as to that being the, the uh, data that you want to see, I mean, that is the data that this data will become. You know, it's just that he's got like a good 20 years on him here, you know, in, in, in all good things. So I don't want to see that now because I want to see him grow. You know, to to have him dies. jump up to the thing. <laughs> <laughs> and the D explodes. Oh. I still don't understand that. We're They're writing it like the same time. Okay, we've got the D with three nacelles, and it's going to be awesome. And we're going to totally blow up the D. Oh, you sake. Yeah, all... It's it's a, th- a thing. I mean, I wish Max were here because he could explain it. But it all actually does make sense. Like that's the thing. I did like his he, explanation. Yeah, yeah. yeah he he. Wait, he he can reconcile. He, all good things. Like, like Max, he can reconcile. Max is super duper hardcore when it comes to time travel, in that he thinks basically all of it is crap and doesn't make any sense. And he he has said, and and he even pointed out that um. All Good Things is one of the few instances in, like, history where the time travel actually makes sense. He says there's two things which don't work. He pointed them out. But for the most part, like, that is one of the the best portrayals of science fiction 
or, wow. it, it, of of time travel in a uh, in terms of like logic and science and stuff. I don't remember his exact reasoning, but uh, we we actually did. If anyone wants to listen, we did a commentary for all good things with. Uh, I don't even remember who was on it. Oh, Josh from uh, the Solus Minions, the guys, Josh, who used to be on the Delta Quadrant, the, the founder of the Delta Quadrant. And uh, we talk about it in great length there. So check that out, commentarytrackstars.com. I, I will check that out, actually, because that's that's absolutely fascinating to me because I am actually one of those people who thinks that time travel technically never works because yeah. it never really makes any sense. Um, but uh, that's interesting. Okay, so let's move on, guys. We do, we've, we've been talking for quite a while, and I, there are just a couple of quick things I want to get to before we get to the end of the episode. So, Earl Grey guys, me, Philip, Darren, this is our Star Trek three. Right? This is when we see our beloved starship uh, get destroyed. Oh, in that way. Okay. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I was like, always waiting. Dies. I mean, wait, no. It's, uh... <laughs> but, but as all of us are Star Trek fans, do we think it has as much emotional impact as Star Trek? Because Star Trek 3, that moment, you know, is super powerful. My God like Bones, that, 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 what have I done? My God Bones, what have I done? Like, that's yeah. amazing. The, the attachment between Kirk and his Enterprise, or the refit yeah. Enterprise, however it's you, the want, same to, you model. want to view that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, no, no. It's exactly the same from the TV no. to the movie. It's in no way huger and would in no way not fit. In being this, it's a refit. Just change the paint, really. That's all they did. <laughs> but but the, the, it's always made, they've always made a big deal about Kirk's attachment to the ship, the physical ship. And it was... It was always a character, so him having to destroy his ship and make that sacrifice, uh, it, it hurt him and it hurt his crew. I I never get the impression from what TNG I've seen that Picard has this relationship with the ship or anybody really. Wow! Okay, I'll ignore the second part, <laughs> and and I will acknowledge the first part by saying he says in relics the Scotty episode that his first love ship is the Stargazer. Mm. Let's let let's clear. Let's be fair though. I do think that all of Star Trek, from if we're going to go chronologically from Archer to Janeway, clearly establishes a relationship from the captain to the ship itself. I do think that that is the case. Now, whether you agree that, or whether you might argue that Kirk's relationship with the Enterprise is stronger than Picard's relationship, I have no problem with that. I, I wouldn't even argue against you. But I do think that there is a clearly defined uh, relationship with the ship itself and the and the captain. I mean, I don't like, know. Right, Janeway even talks to her. I was going to say Janeway Voyager is stronger. I would say Kirk Enterprise. Janeway Voyager, and then I don't. I mean, I, I I'm gonna have to agree with with the TOS guy. Sorry, um, that uh, I don't really feel like Picard has this. Mm, I'm like I don't think I think I think Cisco loves the station. I don't think Cisco loves the Defiant. Well, Cisco loves Bajor. Yeah, 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 yeah that's <laughs> true. That's true. Yeah, it, it doesn't help that the Kirk sacrifices the Enterprise. I mean, to yeah. you know your ship to save his best your son. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. Was it worth it? Kirk? But Picard doesn't even know. Like, we don't even yeah. get yeah. to see the moment where Picard <laughs> finds out that the Enterprise is totally blowed up. <laughs> so the deleted scene was like, um, uh, Riker, uh, this is uh, Captain Picard, one to beam up. Um, Captain, uh, we got something to tell you. 
You can beam over. <laughs> if you want. There's not going to be any beaming up this this time. Uh, Troy has something to tell you. And then he's like, "Well, we'll just I tell me, tell okay, him, okay, you crash the ship, okay? That's that's whatever. I, you know, these things happen. <laughs> well, Livingston, these there, things right? do not happen. <laughs> Livingston, yeah. no, it, I agree. I actually do. I'm, that's why I I specifically brought up Star Trek Three for a reason because I do think that that is a moment. I mean, that is a really powerful moment in Star Trek history where we actually get to see that, like." That's an emotionally impactful moment to the even to the audience, but but to me, someone who's seen all seven, you know, seasons of the Next Generation over and over again, the only thing that the destruction of the Enterprise D does to me is make me upset, like really pisses me off. Because I'm like, first of all, the Enterprise D survived all this crazy nonsense, and then all of a sudden, the the you know, the, oh, the stupid Klingons. Twenty year down. rebuilt Klingon bird of prey. <laughs> And it's just like, which gets destroyed with one torpedo. In the same way that you know that you guys were talking about, give Data a reason to do these things. Give the Enterprise D a reason to get destroyed. Get, like, well, and I think that's give it with something better. Well, and like you said, yeah. I think it's the big difference is Kirk sacrifices his ship, but no one really sacrifices. There's not a choice made of oh the like the missile's going to hit the sun and we're going to just put the enterprise in its path because that's literally all we can do to save this planet or i mean there is no sacrifice it's just oh we broke your ship and it was close to the planet so it happened to to it's so it's a whole different loss yeah i mean i hate again, I mean, and again i don't want to be nitpicky about oh this this that because i mean again I, I do believe in the stronger message or whatever but like i just can't the scenes just kill me because there's so many points i'm like yelling like remodulate the shield you've done that a million times before i mean even if you don't know what's going on or like um oh gosh just so many things the frequency should be on auto change anyway all like, the time isn't that how the borgs shoot through their shields yeah. all the time but I mean, there is a small sacrifice that is done, right? I mean, like, Riker puts Troy in that seat so that she might be impressed with him later, and then he gets some action. I mean, that is a sacrifice. No, he is sacrificing the, the, the Enterprise so that he gets laid, I think. The only sacrifice is that poor teddy bear. Oh. It dropped that drink teddy bear. It's like, that girl's going to run back just, for just it. It was going to be really dramatic. For the the, the and moment at the end happens. where they, she gets the teddy bear back where she finds it in the rubble and there's just nothing. That's heartless. Well, heartless. when Picard at the closing right. captain's log said there were a few casualties, he was talking about the teddy bear. The camera pushes in on and the teddy bear, and you yeah. see in its reflection of its eye the warp core breach just obliterate <laughs> absolutely everything. <laughs> no, no, that's the thing. That's the thing. It's like Adric on Classic Who. After the moment that Picard says to Riker that I don't think this is the last ship to, ha- to carry the name Enterprise – it cuts to you know deck seven or whatever, and Livingston is slowly carrying that, <laughs> that overall just to give it to her. So. Well, one of my favorite Star Trek books, and again, book canon, not whatever, uh, or Dana. is Star Trek uh, Ship to the Line, and I really, really yes. love this book because it deals with that because it has Kelsey Grammer. Well, yeah, you mean you know, <laughs> he's right there. But no, I love how it deals with that in between time of Picard 
minus the D and now he, he's not quite sure is he still want to be a captain? You know, it, he takes the loss very hard. And, and like I was saying earlier, where it's not a sacrifice of the ship for him, it's, it's his family. Picard was always more attached to his crew as a family than to his individual ship. I believe I I think, and that's where as he's trying to figure out what is my new future going to be? How am I going to rebuild this? Are we all going to get, you know, assigned to other ships and uh, so i i highly recommend it for for a take on that in between time it is it is kind of silly that book because it's got everyone who's ever traveled through time <laughs> pretty much is in that yes. book designing the enterprise e like scotty's designing parts of it and and uh you know kelsey Grammer's designing part of it and and he just won't leave the, the new 10 forward for some reason. He just keeps sitting there in the new 10 forward. I don't know. It's that green drink. Okay, guys. The last thing I wanted to talk about before we closed up was this is really the only instance, I mean, on screen, really, that we get of a depiction of Christmas in the future, whether it's the 22nd, 23rd, or 24th century. So I figured since we're going to be dropping this on Christmas Eve and then Christmas Eve Eve, we should talk just just briefly about uh, uh, Christmas in Star Trek. I, I want to what guys the TOS guys. And I know you have names, Drew and Mike. Um, <laughs> my favorite, the first Christmas Star Trek reference, and I, I don't know which episode it is. You'll have to tell me. Is the one where Kirk goes in the away mission to the and he's in the transporter room and the girls there and he realizes that's the girl he made out with because he got drunk at the Christmas party. That girl's Thank mine. You. <laughs> I'm glad you knew that because I had no idea. That was totally a new question right there. Well, I, I I only remember it because mission log they kept bringing it up because they were just like they made out at a Christmas party. They have Christmas, and they have office parties. <laughs> on the Enterprise. Well, and I, and I think that this is great because it's still still talking Christmas because it disputes the uh, disputes the. Um, a notion of Kirk is like I just like the ladies because he's actually really embarrassed about it. He's like trying to. She's like she's like, hey, want to get together? Again? He's like, um, uh, no, uh, uh, beam, beam us down, beam us down. <laughs> well, and that's followed up so well with the you know Hallmark ornament Voyager in uh, Q two Death Wish. In, yeah, and in, in, De- in Death Wish, you get. This, uh, you know, I think they probably must have sold a thousand of those things, you know. Captain, we appear to be tethered to a large plant. <laughs> With a macro fish lens. <laughs> but yeah, no, no, Christmas. Uh, yeah, the Nexus, Captain Picard, lots of presents. And I love how all his presents are 20th century presents. One is totally an Aliens Colonial Marines <laughs> uh, flight thing with an alien catcher built into the back. I always wanted one of those. I didn't even notice. Is that is that yeah, true? It totally is. Yeah, it's like a gr- young John Connor is playing with. <laughs> yeah, it looks yeah, like the Grays. Oh yeah, you're right. Hey, how about that? Yeah, no, I mean for me, like I, I've always associated this movie with Christmas. I think part of it is because I would try to latch on to you know it's like oh it's this is the Christmas movie because it's got Christmas in it, but also because um, I just it came out in November and that year was all you know I mean I got you know, the soundtrack, the novelization, the toys for Christmas, that was my Christmas. So I've always associated this movie with Christmas. And, um, you know, at the time, you know, I I was like, it's weird that they don't have Christmas in Star Trek at all. And now I kind of see where they're coming from. It's like, obviously, you know, the the idea was to, to make it a very, you know, 
atheistic society and stuff like that. But I, I really love how, yeah, they do talk about Christmas because to me, like, as like I, I'm an atheist and I love Christmas because I, I see it as like a secular holiday. And I love the idea that Christmas has survived to the 24th century, even if Christianity hasn't, you know? Uh, so uh, yeah, I'm. I'm uh, Uhura quotes Christianity <laughs> in the episode where they go to the Roman planet. Yeah, don't get me started on that. But <laughs> <laughs> don't get him started on it. I was just gonna say, let's be fair. Um, not too many years after this, we do get to see Patrick Stewart as Ebenezer Scrooge. Mm-hmm. So that kind of makes sense. Yeah, right? yeah. There you go. So that's that. That makes Christmas Carol fit into Star Trek continuity. Right? <laughs> It's all canon. It's a holodeck episode. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> but I think the, the the big thing that stands out in this Christmas scene is why was that not Beverly Crusher? That's because, that's I mean, she had red hair. She was obviously married to Picard in this, you know, fantasy. I, I really don't see why they didn't jump to that well, step. Because he, he already experienced the marriage and all good things and figured out, found out it wasn't that great of a thing. So he's over it. No, what it were, honestly, the, the the actual behind the scenes reason is that um, Gates McFadden already had too much to do in this movie, <laughs> and they were really worried about giving her too much screen like falling time. Falling into so the water just like, took like I'm, how long? Is that is that really true or something... not? Because I would believe that if it were true. Okay, no. All right. that sounds like something they would say I, though. I imagine it's it's more like the dream. I don't know about you guys, but you know, I'll be married in my dream. And they'll be, you know, I have wife, and it's obviously supposed to be my wife, but it doesn't look like her. It has her features, but it doesn't look like her. And I imagine that maybe that's what the Nexus is like, like not exactly the people that they're supposed to be. But The problem is that the woman who plays his wife also played one of his officers in the TNG episode The Loss, where her husband died under circumstances and troy was trying to counsel her this is when troy lost her powers hence the title the loss um but and so like now it's very suspicious how this woman's husband died that's all i'm saying that's all i'm saying (laughs) i think the reason kind of like jack crusher throughout the entire seven year run of tng I, i think the reason why they did it was twofold one because um they didn't want to confuse new viewers yeah. you know like what? oh, Wait, what's going on? What? beverly how'd you get into the nexus and i'm not right. only whoopi goldberg is it's confusing enough yeah. with whoopi goldberg yeah. exactly yeah. and and the other reason i think is because i think it's pretty clear that the writers of next generation were terrified of putting any character together with any other character because i don't know why because except in parallel universes except in parallel universes which this would have been i guess but you know yeah there's a nexus Wesley Crusher and Robin Leffler. <laughs> this doesn't count. She was a uh, she. She 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 only was supposed to be a regular. You know. No, I yeah. understand. I'm just I'm just teasing you for Chris's sake, so that he'll listen to the episode. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. And actually, now that you mentioned Whoopi, there's just one quick fact I want to mention. This is the second instance of Whoopi Goldberg playing in a, uh, you know, in a movie or TV show with James Doohan, and yet they never get to meet. Well, because she wasn't on the episode Relics, but sh- she's mentioned, and uh, in the movie, oh, that's right. she's on the same ship as uh, as Scotty, but they don't. Until she beams over to the ship that Scotty's on. 
But they don't actually meet together, is what, is what right. he's saying. No, but they never meet. Right. I'm saying on the screen. Like, oh, yeah. This is the second time that those two characters are linked in some way, but they never actually meet. You don't think that, that Scotty went to 10 Forward during the, the commercial breaks in Relics? He was at 10 Forward. He was. She just he was. Okay. Yeah, he did. They drank the. He said, "What in the devil is this? I've been drinking scotch since you were in diapers." It, it was just. It was her day off. Okay, gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Well, right. Yeah. Or her week or, or month or whatever. In that case. Her season. Goes. <laughs> yes. Yes. In fact, that's exactly right. Um, we did. We did want to bring up Christmas, and that's why we did this special episode of uh, Earl Grey and Standard Robert crossover, just to say. And why we're releasing these two episodes a day and two days before Christmas to say Happy Holidays, everyone. Whether you know whatever you believe in, but uh, in the spirit of, of of Trek, we want everyone to enjoy themselves and their times with their family, and we wish everyone the best. And you should check out all of our shows on Trek FM because, believe it or not, Generations, even though it's on two of the shows that Trek FM has, is not the only thing that we've been talking about on Trek FM. So here's a look at what you may have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.FM, Standard Orbit. The Unmade Starfleet Academy movie. You know, even even on paper. Okay, do we want to do the the script which was written by the guy who wrote Star Trek V, or do we want to do the script which was written by the guy who wrote Star Trek II? Earl Grey. The ships of TNG. Oh, no, it's one ship that splits into three parts, just like the D is one ship that splits into two parts. It's not a Voltron. It's, it's one <laughs> ship. <laughs> and Al formed the saucer. The orb. Dr. Bashir, I presume commentary. I know, that it's just a hostile the look on Cisco's <laughs> face the whole time. He's just looking at Zimmerman like, all right, you're a, you're a piece of work, aren't you? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> to the journey! Cisco. And obviously, Cisco couldn't let go. No. And she proved that by having his child against his will. Yeah. Now, here is the Murray Show twist of the future. <laughs> He does not impregnate her. She impregnates herself with his DNA. Or so she thought. But he is not the father. The ready room. But it's also really gloomy, and it's sad. I never want to go back there. I don't want to, like, re-experience that. Like, just the visual of candy of being able to go outside and, and talk to the Vorta and... Wow, I maybe didn't phrase that properly. I, I, meant, I meant the change in color and lighting. Oh. I did not mean, but she's a very I thought you were order. talking about Kimana. <laughs> she is fetching. No. She's, a, she's a fetching lass. Warp 5. Zindi Evolution. Well, I think maybe Okapa and Insectoid are two races that could have a life together. You know, you've got the nine-year lifespan of the Okapa. You've got the 12-year lifespan of an Insectoid. If they meet at the right time, it could be, could be a beautiful love story. Commentary, Trek stars. Iris Stephen Bears, Star Trek. And it's the first time I heard him say something that he said several times over the years is, you know, one day, one day when we're not the middle child, we're not the stepchild, people are going to go, holy crap, look at DS9. Literary Treks. Slings and arrows, a sea of troubles. You, you see in this book, too, that Picard is facing this melancholy because they've been worried about the Borg, and now the Dominion is on the horizon, and there's these two things, and obviously this is before first contact, so that hasn't happened yet. And Picard seems to be kind of weighed down in this story in some ways. 
And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. All right, guys. Well, obviously, we know that Drew and Mike can be heard on Standard Orbit every week, which if you are not subscribed to that show, you should be and go right now and do that. Um, but Drew, if people wanted to find you personally on, uh, on the Internet, where would they go? Uh, they can find me in. No, I was going to give my address. <laughs> I almost did that one. If they want to send you a Christmas present. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Philip knows where I live. No. <laughs> they can find me on the internet, thankfully, at 005 on Twitter, D O U B L E O F I V E. And they can find me on Standard Orbit, where uh, every week Mike and I talk about Star Trek the original series. And you can also find me on random episodes of. Uh, the Ready Room, where I'm on the TOS episodes, where we talk about particular episodes and break them down. All right. And uh, what about you, Mike? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at ComTrackStars, or you can find me on uh, Trek FM doing commentary Trek Stars with uh, my friend Max. Or you can find me on my website, CommentaryTrackStars.com, where I do commentary Track Stars off topic with Max and our friend Brandon. Okay, great. And Darren? You can find me on Twitter at Dr. Sci-Fi. That's D-R-S-E-I-F-I. Phil. You can find me on Earl Grey. We talk about TNG. Oh, wait, never mind. Um, you can find me on Twitter uh, at NC Public Servant. And Daniel, where can, can we find, find you? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you can find me as well on Twitter. That is 1UpDan, the number one, not the word. If you'd like to share your thoughts on today's Earl Grey, just go to trek.fm slash contact. There's a form there. Choose to send to the show option and choose Earl Grey. That will come to the three of us by email. You can also use the tab on the right-hand side of any page to send us a voicemail using your webcam's microphone. And you can talk to us and other listeners in our forums at trek.fm slash forums. In social media, you'll find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash trek.fm and on Twitter under the username trek.fm. Before we go, we'd like to ask you to please support our sponsor, who makes it possible for us to bring Earl Grey and all of our other shows to you each week, Audible.com. It's a great way for you to read all the books you've always wanted to read, but never thought you'd have time for. Audible is the premier source for audiobooks, with more than 150,000 titles to choose from, and new titles coming every week. From classics to current bestsellers, Audible has something for everyone. There are a whole bunch of next-generation books available on Audible, including The Devil's Heart, read by Gates McFadden, and Q and Law, read together by John Delancey and Majel Barrett. As a Trek FM listener, you can get a free audiobook of your choice, along with a 30-day trial, just to see how great Audible is. So give it a try today. Catch up on all those classic books you've yet to read, the latest novel from your favorite author as well. Just go to audibletrial.com slash trekfm and sign up today. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash trekfm, and we thank you and Audible for supporting Earl Grey and the Trek FM network. Also, help us to continue to bring Earl Grey to you each week by getting your alien badges and art prints featuring original illustration by Toba Ushi. You'll find them at trek.fm slash donate, and your support helps us pay for the cost of production, hosting, and bandwidth that, that's needed to bring you Trek FM each week. And all that's to say, Merry Christmas. Live long and prosper. Engage. Fire. 